Hey guys, and welcome to Where the White Coats Come Off podcast. We are Beth and Katie, founders of Pre-PA Clinic, and we are so happy you are here. If you are pre-PA, then you are in the right place, and we are so excited to help you get accepted to PA school. One myth out there is that you have to be a perfect candidate to get accepted to PA school, and we are here to tell you it is simply not true. We have years of experience working at PA schools, reviewing CASPA applications, deciding who to interview, and deciding who to accept, and guess what? You can absolutely get accepted to PA school without perfect stats. And we are here to show you exactly how to apply to PA school the right way so you can get accepted. You have probably heard about our application to acceptance course, also known as A to A course, and have seen the testimonials from all the applicants that have been accepted because of this course. A to A is invaluable for showing you how to pick the right PA schools that value your strengths and are more willing to overlook weaknesses, creating your strongest application that stands out to programs so that they are really excited to interview you, deep diving into each and every part of your CASPA application to make sure you are highlighting yourself the right way, how to answer interview questions so you crush your interview, and so much more. We literally walk you through creating your strongest, most competitive application. So if you haven't joined A to A yet, definitely get in and let's put together your most outstanding PA school application. We are so excited to see you in the private A to A group and can't wait to hear which PA schools you land interviews at and where you decide to attend. Sign up in the show notes. Now on to today's episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of Where the White Coats Come Off. Today we have a special guest. Today William is here and he's going to talk all about trauma PA, what a day is like in a day of a trauma PA, and he's also going to talk a little bit about National Guard, making it through PA school, and finding love in PA school. So we have all these amazing topics to discuss today, so please join me in welcoming William to the podcast. William, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Beth. Thank you, and thank you everybody for tuning in today. This is an incredible podcast, and just on a personal note, I hear a lot of people talk about it at work. I'm from Orlando, Florida, so definitely Beth and her uh, compatriots are the right people to listen to. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, and we're really excited to get to know you. And to kind of get started, can we um, hear a little bit about your background and kind of your path to PA school? Yeah, so um, I played football in high school. I uh, went right into college football. I did two seasons. And then I saw a guy basically cut off his foot in my driveway. Wow. And I thought, you know, wow. This is medicine. This is great. So I, I went through school. I got my EMT basic, which a lot of people get. It's kind of a standard now, I feel like, in PA school. Either you're a scribe, you're CNA, you're EMT basic, right? Or paramedic, right? There's like, you know. So I got that. I worked, went to UCF, worked, you know, back and forth. And then I, this was around 2016. And PA was still kind of, it's been around forever, but it, it's still kind of a new thing back then. So I researched it because I was between that, DO school, or pharmacy. <laughs> And I remember a older PA, he'd been one for about 20 years, and he said, man, I love the ability to jump specialties. I love being able to do one thing and not being stuck. No offense to any physicians, but, you know, if you're the type that wants to be a jack of all trades, master of none, or you want to master one and say, hey, man, I'm done. I want to go do something else. That's why I chose it. So then I got into Nova Fort Lauderdale, Nova Southeastern Fort Lauderdale, very competitive um, one thing I tell everybody, and I'm, I know on the podcast, y'all talk about it, shadow, volunteer, clinic hours, and have a good GPA. If you have all four of those, everything should take care of itself. And don't lie. Do not lie. Like, <laughs> that's one thing I tell you. If, you. if you don't know it, if you didn't do it, just don't do it. Like, just please. And then I got out of PA school in August 2019. I went into an ER fellowship here in Orlando, Florida via Team Health. Who I think a lot of people might know is a huge 
contracting company. They pretty much focus on uh, emergency medicine, hospitalists, and CRNAs right now. In Florida, there's especially Orlando, you have two competing hospitals, Orlando Health, Advent Health. Advent does uh, team health to staff their ERs. So basically, it was a one-year MD-level style fellowship for a PA. I did that, and I do recommend that for anybody going into ER because the statistics and burnout is not very good. And maybe, Beth, you know, you know, you could point some light on this. Not very good for fresh out of PA school going into a busy ER. There's a lot to know. There's a lot to handle. Billing is a monster now. It gets worse every year. So I just, I would recommend a fellowship. And so I did that for a year, started working on my own, and then COVID hit. And then they started cutting everybody and they said, hey, you know, I don't know if anybody's listening or you, you know, you people in ER, but it was just a ghost town, right? Remember that? Like every, nobody showed up anymore. You couldn't, in, in Florida, we had a curfew and, you know, it was crazy. So I said, how do I survive this? I knew some people and I said, hey, come do cardiology at this level one hospital, Orlando Regional Medical Center downtown. RMC, you lived there your whole life, you know, you never worked there. So I said, sure. I went there, did cardiology for about two years, and then I shouted and shouted and said, hey, trauma surgery is where I want to be. I joined the National Guard uh, about a year before I went in trauma surgery, and the two aligned pretty well. So now I do trauma surgery full time at Orlando Health, Orlando Regional Medical Center, and I am now a PA with the Army National Guard going on almost two years this May. And just disclaimer, I am not being paid or any by any of my work, my the federal government, the Army, nothing. This is just something from the model of my heart. So that's pretty much my career progression is ER, ER fellowship, cardiology, trauma surgery, Army National Guard. <laughs> so Yeah, so I love this. I actually want to dive into deep uh, into some of these things because it, it's quite interesting. Um, the first thing I really love that you noted about like, you know, being truthful in your application because integrity is yep. so important um, to the PA profession. And we know and we've heard from other students that Nova's pretty um, tough to get into. They they like the GRE. So apparently schools in Florida, yep. most of them like the GRE and they like to have a pretty high GRE score. And so, you know, when you applied, did you just apply in Florida or did you apply to other schools? And now you had obviously a lot of your EMT stuff. What other kind of stats did you have, if you don't mind sharing, when you applied? One of the biggest things at the time was I, a lot of kids were being kicked out or rejected, essentially, from the application process was because of shadowing hours. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you can volunteer until the cows come home, but it's just still an issue now is shadowing. So I got over, I think, almost 200 hours of shadowing. Which may not, I don't know what the current standards are now, but back then I think the average person had maybe 40 to 80. And I was like, I got to blow this out of water, man. So I, I just did that because I think I had a 3.6 GPA. And mind you, that's having a college football GPA of 2.7. And then, then going to community college to pump it up and then surviving. If anybody you know listening is a UCF student or knows about UCF, the the meat grinder of you know being in a 400 student class you know what i'm saying so that was kind of you know one thing i focused on volunteer like i said before volunteer hours shadow get your clinical time in i think that paid people and if you're a scribe that's fine like don't freak out but i think that clinical hands-on prepares you better and that's not a bias thing it's just something i picked up on a lot of people you know you don't you know you don't get worried as much uh when you get to that clinical stage but I would definitely reinforce shadowing because through shadowing, you make connections. And that's one of the most important things in the medical world I could stress is connections. And then I really, 
applied heavily to Florida. I did apply, I did go to Rutgers, incredible program there. I did apply to this place up in Portland, Maine. It was like University of New England, I think. I can't remember. But I, I stayed home growing in Florida. And it's funny you say the GRE because I actually had an average to maybe below average GRE school for Nova Fort Lauderdale you know, the, the flagship campus. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to get in here. And they gave me an interview. And on Halloween day, they called me. And uh, it was Dr. Diamond at the time, Morton Diamond, you know, all respect to him, rest in peace. He passed away a couple of years ago, but he was the, the medical director at the time. An incredible guy. And he called me and he said, you know, one of the one things we loved about you was that you just had a natural interview. And I think a lot of people go in there, you're nervous, you're like, oh my God, this is my career on the line. I got to be perfect. But I think, again, like I said, no lying, but just be yourself. That's one of the biggest things I would stress. Even with Nova, I've had people say, oh, my GRE is in this, or I only have so many shadow hours, or my GPA is a 3.3. But the work, too, right? They will look at your record, and they'll see the work. Like, for me, like, I, I played football. Like, I didn't care about school. They saw that I pulled this 2.7 at the end of the day to a 3.6, you know? I pushed and pushed and pushed, and I sacrificed and worked, and, you know, and I think if you just show that on your resume, you'll be okay. And just, again, be natural, be yourself. And, and that's what I would, I would, I know it's a lot to push in, but definitely shadow and be yourself and do not worry about your scores. Just stop worrying. It's like people freak out all the time. Yes. So, yeah. And we get that a lot. And, and what I love about stories like yours, it's so inspiring. It's like, as you said, I had a 2.7 and I had myself yeah. in a hole and it wasn't because of ability. It was because I was young. I was busy with something else. You know, I didn't yeah. dedicate myself, but then I proved myself. I knew I would have to go back. I knew I'd have to take some classes. I knew I'd have to work. I knew I'd have to shadow. So I love the fact that you didn't let an obstacle like, hey, I have a lower GPA than I think I need stop you. And you, you worked and you did all the other things and you boosted everything you could. And then you applied and you got into, you know, the school where you wanted to. So I hope our listeners yeah. really hear this and really realize you don't have to be perfect. Um, as William said, like he did the work and they saw that. They saw the work ethic. They saw the integrity. They saw he was genuine during his interview. And we can't stress that enough. They want to get to know you. They want to know if you are right for the program. So that was so many, so many gold nuggets in there. So listeners, uh, yeah. listen to that again if you need 100%. to. 100%. <laughs> yeah. They, it, you know, it, it's like, it's like I just got married this past Saturday. Uh, it's literally like it's like you're dating somebody. Like, no, people love you for you. And that's how PA school is. And I'm told also that's how med school is, right? You, nobody's cookie cutter. So, again, like I said, I'll stress that a thousand times a day. Like, just be yourself. And then another interesting thing is you decided to do a postgraduate fellowship in ER. And so I want to dive into a little bit about what the fellowship was like. Uh, but first off, why were you interested in a fellowship? And then... For our listeners who don't know what a fellowship is, maybe can you explain a little bit about what that is? I had always been emergency medicine minded. You know, I got my EMT basic. I was at, at the time, Fort Hospital, now Advent Health South, but Fort Hospital Orlando, working as an EMT and the ED tech basically in the ER. And you, you hear all the things from the physicians and you're like, you know, this is a pretty fast paced world. So when you go to PA school, you you see, you hear a lot of guys and girls, especially like the older generation of PAs that I would say came in, you know, with maybe bachelor degrees or they came, you know, it was just tough to be a PA back in the day, right? Yes. Yeah, it was. And no offense to anybody, but it was, it was tough. And from, from what you see and you hear, and they're like, man, you're going to come in here fresh out of PA school. You're going to burn out, bro, because you don't know anything. You think you know stuff. But that one little four-week rotation, you're not going to learn everything. There's people in here that do this for three years, and it's a high-intensity three years, and, you, and, and it's just not going to happen. And 
I have plenty of friends that can attest that you're just people going in there. The average, I think, at the time was three months. The average PA, fresh out of PA school in 2019, would burn out 90 days and either be fired because not because they didn't really know too much, but because they weren't fast enough. And to give you reference, when I was working in the ED, you're expected to pick up two patients an hour baseline minimum, which doesn't sound like a lot, but for a 10-hour day, that's essentially 20 new consults, right? And you're managing. You're making the shots. You're the shot caller. So having knowing all that, I did this ED fellowship, and it was wonderful. I did it with Team Health. Um, the program director at the time was Dr. Denny. I think they still do an accelerated version now. It's shorter, but when I went, it was a year. And it was me, and it was a bunch of us. They only took three of us. So it was another high-intensity, like, you know, job, you know, interview. But I got lucky, I got picked, and it was a blessing at the time. But it was, it was you shadow, and you rotate through different hospitals. You do a peds block, and you do, you know, ER block. You do, like, more of a acute ER. You know, you just switch constantly. PA, nurse practitioner, uh, physician preceptors. You had homework every week. You had to do podcasts. I think it's, it was called EM Rap, which is an incredible podcast. It's like these guys are funny, but they're geniuses. And then you got tests every week. And on top of that, you were expected to work on your own alongside the MDDO residents that were there too. So it's for me, it was the closest thing I think a PA could get. And I've heard all this from the, all the other you know ER fellowships across the country that it is an intense boot camp, but it will get you the respect and honestly the kind of callus that you need to survive in the world. So like I said, it, it was very tough. Like I said, testing, which sucked because you know you get out of PA school, you pass your boards. You know, I'm like, <laughs> That's it, but it's not. <laughs> No, yeah, and then just the sheer volume of information on top of that, like, you know, a lot of it was trial by fire. But again, that's kind of what a residency is. You're learning the same thing over and over and over again. But say it was literally being back in school, like 100%. And that's interesting. Yeah. And I know when I did my residency, it was kind of like you were you were working, but then you were also a student. It was very similar with the testing and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But I yeah. felt like, and they told me, and I did a six-month one in orthopedic trauma surgery, and they told me that, like, hey, your six months here is going to be, like, two years of experience. And so when you get out, yeah. you're going to feel comfortable. And I thought that that was pretty accurate. Um, how did you feel after you got out of this year-long ER fellowship? Did you feel pretty comfortable with your job? Honestly, I felt great. Like, I felt like my wife, you know, she's laughing at me, like, I, like, I feel like, man, I'm the smartest kid in the world. Like, who are you to tell me, you know, about uh, beta HCG and, you know, all this stuff? And, you know, like, I know everything. But then COVID hit and medicine stopped and it became about, did they have a complete whiteout on their lungs? You know, what do we start? What do we do? So I I felt like I was running at, you know, six 7,000 RPM. I was red, redlining. I was ready to go. And then, you know, COVID hit. And I think that took a lot of, it just, you know, it slowed everything down. Um, but I, I would not trade that fellowship for the world. I even think with team health, you have to have, and again, no disclaimer, not, you know, everything here, but I think you have to have two years of ER experience or one year of an ER fellowship, even to just get on, even be considered for a hire. So it's still, you know, having that fellowship, just like you, Beth, you have that brand, right? That ortho six month, you know, you have that. It just, it's a respect thing. You know, and I understand that people get upset, but it's like, and same with you. How can you walk up to a person that's done four, five, six years in a residency, right? And say, all right, I'm going to do the same thing you do day one. Yeah. It's just, it's not, it, in my opinion, it's just not going to happen sometimes, especially with some specialties. 
because they're very aggressive and they and they eat their young. And I think ER is one of those, especially for PAs and nurse practitioners. I mean, God, and especially on the ortho side, ortho side's high volume. I know you guys are switching OR rooms every thirty minutes. I mean, yep. it's a crazy life. <laughs> So. Yeah, and I think that's interesting because just from teaching for lots of years now, um, a lot of our students go into ER, and there's a lot of reasons yeah. for that. Is one, you can make good money, right? Two, yeah. it's it's typically open. Um, the ER is almost always hiring, and so if you're a student who are like, I need my first job, and three, when you're young, the 12-hour shifts and all that, it's kind of like it's fun and you know sexy and everything. And then when people start having children and they you know missing Christmas and that kind of stuff, I think is when a lot of our students tend to maybe kind of reconsider or you know urgent care or something like that so it's good advice for students who are like hey I want to go in the ER but I, I did one rotation I'm not sure I'm ready um, consider a fellowship and that way you can gain that confidence and that that ability um, okay yeah. I want to switch over to this COVID thing and, and I had a lot of friends that worked in the ER and they had very similar um, thoughts so here we were in the midst of a pandemic right a medical emergency in the United States and ERPAs got furloughed and laid off everywhere because nobody was coming. People were literally dying of heart attacks in their homes instead of going to the ER and maybe getting COVID, right? Because a lot of people were super, super scared. And I know, I mean, our volumes, of course, dropped. Everybody's did, but the ERs were ghost towns. So um, having to, you know, just had finished this fellowship, like ready, ready for ER. And you're like, oh my gosh, COVID hit. So how did you get, how did you kind of switch, as you said, from from that, you know, COVID hit, lost your job, and then you go to level one trauma on a trauma surgery PA. So what was that like for you, that process? So I'll be honest with you, Beth, it was tough because you tell yourself, I am an emergency medicine specialist. I have been doing this as an EMT basic, which I still take a lot of pride in. There's a lot of paramedics out there, you know, like it's just, it's, it's that EMS world, you know, like you just, you, you're just hyped up, you know, and then you go into PA school and you get, you, you push through and you get the ER fellowship, right? And then the world says no, right? That's why I always tell people, don't make plans, make goals because plans change. Goals are something you reach for, to work for. It was tough. So I got out and they were like, hey, we can't guarantee you a job. And again, this is no poo-poo on them, but like things were bad. You know, like when you're seeing 20, 30-year-olds get innovated and people are dying left and right, and you're just like, okay. And then I asked around and I met some friends and I said, you know, listen, Team Health, I'll go per diem. So I'll keep you all. You don't have to do anything for me. Just keep my name on the roster. And I'll find another job. And I, my whole family had always worked at Orlando Health uh, or or MC. It was a big level one downtown Orlando. It's actually the only level one in Central Florida outside of Tampa General and Tampa. And then you got Shands and uh, Gainesville. And then you got, I believe, Kendall and down in uh, Miami. But, you know, Florida's very, like, it's spread out with our level ones, right? So, Advent's the big boy, but ORMC's got that, you know, the clout, you know, for lack of a better phrase. So I called and I said, you know, what can I do there? What's open? Inpatient cardiology was open. I said, I know heart attacks. I see heart failure every day. And I was like, what's going to keep my medicine open? Because then it became survival mode, but I didn't want to put myself in the corner. And cardiology is a, like my doctor, you know, Dr. Diamond, rest in peace, used to say, is you're always with the kidney docs and you're always with the IMG docs, the hospitalist, the internal medicine, because you just don't lose your medicine with it. So I said, I'm going to go that way. And then I met some incredible people, got hired, and I did that for two years. And it was a good trip. You know, you're, you see everything. You're seeing STEMIs, you're seeing all sorts of crazy hard stuff. And um, the technology changed, you know, and then I joined the National Guard, <laughs> you know. I'd always, I had my, my girl, my girlfriend at the time, now wife said, 
you're not going to go active because I don't want to move. At having just moved up from from a Fort Lauderdale to Orleans, all right, you know, you moved up here for me, and I wanted to join the National Guard, and so I did. It was a big decision, very busy decision, but you know. And then I said, how am I going to augment this very trauma right ER lifestyle that I barely have a, a breath of anymore? And then I said, you know, let me tra- let me shadow trauma surgery, and then I shadowed and again hard work, right? Keyword Beth, hard work, because they had no openings at the time. I interviewed, lost South, I, and I'm not bragging, but I, I, I've never been told no one to interview. And then I get the trauma surgery and I lose twice. So, but I said, you know, I'm just going to keep shadowing and shadowing and shadowing. And then after almost eight months, nine months, they called me up and they said, hey, we got a spot yesterday. And I said, yeah, bring me in. And I've been doing it um, since last year and I love it. And it's funny because I hated surgery in PA school too, disclaimer. <laughs> hated it because of having to do one-handed ties. Yes. What they don't teach you, and then you go out to rotations and you're YouTubing it at night. I remember that. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, (laughs) like hated it. You know, and then uh, having to make my sutures look nice. Like, no, I'll do. I can do a nice, simple, interrupted or running call today. Uh, But you know what I'm saying. So, but that was kind of the progression of I had to find a place to survive. But how do I keep my medicine? And that's where cardiology gave me. I'll forever be thankful to OHHVI. Used to be OHI. No, you know. Orlando um, Heart Health and Vascular Institute, and then now trauma surgery. So I love about that is, as you said, like, hey, I was told no twice, but I kept shadowing, I kept on it, and that way I was the first call that they made. And, and so I love that because, again, it's kind of like um, with PA school, you know what you needed to do. I needed to shadow. I needed to work hard. I needed to get all these things in. And then when the time was right, you know, you were there and you were available and open for the opportunity and you were their first call because they knew you and, you know, you had shown interest. And so exactly. I love that. I love that. So even though you're working, you're still doing all these other things, you know, to kind of make this dream come true. So that's great. And I just, I just love the, the work ethic that that kind of shows and just shows even as a PA, like we're always learning medicine, even if you stay in the same specialty, medicine changes, right? So yeah. love that. Okay. So a little bit about um, National Guard. So some of our listeners might not understand what the difference between like full active duty PA is and then National Guard PA. So for for those who don't know the difference there, can you maybe explain how that works? Just to give you guys a reference, there's three actual components of the Army. Technically four if you think of like special operations, but they're a whole different breed on their own. So like you have conventional Army, right? You have your active duty. I joined. I went through officer school. I went through, you know, whatever. I am eat, breathe, sleep Army all day. I am a, basically a federal employee. I'm uniformed services. That's it, right? That's all you know. That's all you do. Then you have Army Reserve, which is federal, but it's same as kind of same schedule as mine. You you show up, you drill, right? You show up uniform, you do what you need to do for certain picked out dates, and then you go back. Army Reserve is very heavy medical based, very hospital based. And then you have the Army National Guard, which is really more so the state. The state controls. You see the state, you know, national disaster, this national, the state deploys you, right? You're kind of belonging to the governor. It's not so much a federal enterprise and it is a heavier, more, you know, infantry artillery. You get more of that with the national guard. I am a Floridian. I am very loyal to my state. Many Floridians out there, all this, a lot of us say we hate it here. It sucks, but you haven't left yet, right? Um, (laughs) There's a reason why you can't leave. It's a bad, it's abusive relationship, right? You know, you just can't leave. I'm eighth generation Floridian. That's why I stayed and that's why I chose to serve. It's, It's special because I am the PA for an infantry battalion. So what my job entails is every time I show up to drill or they send me on little orders here and there, 
I'm constantly either doing physicals, I'm doing health checks, I'm doing, I mean, in field care, I'm doing, I'm basically a walking urgent care slash primary care slash trauma. So it's, and you get to teach too. I love teaching. So, you know, I have about 40 to 50 medics under my, you know, under my command, quote unquote, and I work underneath the battalion surgeon, which is just kind of an old phrase for the, the doc, the physician. You are officer level. Uh, usually you come in a first lieutenant and then get promoted to captain. You do have to go to officer school, which isn't awful, but it's, it's tough. And then, you know, once you do that, you're fully qualified, quote unquote. But it, all the army goes with it. You still got to, you know, shoot guns. You still got to meet standards of weight. You still got to exercise. You still got to pass physical, you know, all that. So usually I show up. They have a show up one week in the month and then two weeks a year. But being a medical provider is a little more difficult because they're in short demand, active side, reserve side, uh, National Guard side. So we get pulled around a lot, you know, the, like the motto to conserve fighting strength. And that's what we do. A lot of people come in like, I want to shoot, do cool guy stuff. It's like, no, you're here to make sure everybody else can go do that, man. Like, that's your job, bro. Uh, that's your special forces, which again, different breed, different mentality. But, you know, kind of in a nutshell, I am a walking urgent care PCP referral system, sometimes case management. I'm calling soldiers weekly to make sure they're okay. Because obviously suicide is an awful, awful epidemic right now in the military, specifically army. So like I said, it's it's not a part-time job, it's a full-time job. You know, even they say it's part-time, but you know, a lot of benefits too, a lot of financial benefits. The government will provide. Not on time, but they will provide. <laughs> so yeah. So what's your commitment for that? Like how many years if you decide someone's interested in maybe the National Guard? Like what is well, the commitment? Funny question. They asked me that and I thought it was, uh, I signed a four-year uh, bonus contract and then I looked at when I'm actually supposed to be out and it said 2049. So I guess 2049. Um, but I usually, you as an officer in the Guard, you're expected to be there. I believe you're pretty much there for eight years. Uh, no matter what you are, it's kind of like a hidden, you know, like that you're here for eight. At 20, you do get veteran status and you do get full retirement so it's but yeah a contract to be anywhere for you sign for a one-year bonus to four years and you have to serve or you know you pretty much have, even if once you're done you go on something called irr which essentially is you don't drill you don't show up for anything you just you know you're normal civilian but if a national like a hurricane hits you get pulled off the street and they're like hey bro you got to show up a war breaks out you're showing up um, but yeah, that's pretty much, it depends on what you sign really. But at the end of the day, I would expect to be in eight years, whether it be, you know, actively drilling and then an active, you know, reserve unit or just, you know, all together. And then what about deployment? Can they deploy you as part of the yeah. Yeah. So in Florida, Florida's super famous for this. We have something called, um, sad duty. <laughs> and it stands for state active duty. And it's kind of a joke because like when a hurricane hits, you leave your house, they usually pull you out 48 to 72 hours. Everybody goes to their respective armories, right? The whole, where you drill at. And you guys hunker down, wait for the storm to hit, and then you go right into what's left after the storm. And everyone's like, yeah, it's sad dude, because you're sad because usually no power. They're eating MREs, which are meal ready eats, which are just, you know, <laughs> either you love them or hate them. <laughs> I have, a, I don't know, whatever relationship with them. And, um, you know, it's just you're out there in, the, in just destroyed areas all the time. That's kind of a state active duty. So Florida, Texas, kind of, the, you know, the Gulf states are very active during hurricane season. So if you are looking to join, 
look at your state. Like if you're in the Northeast or you're in the very like Northwest, Midwest area that gets a lot of ice and snow, you can be called up and you got to show up and you will be out there in the elements taking care of people. It's not a joke and it can be dangerous. So it's one of those things people think, oh, I'm just going to show up and not do anything. It's like, no, man. Like when you get called up by the governor, you got to take care of the people. And that's also why I love the guard is because I get to take care of my fellow, like my people here. You know what I'm saying? Like last time, like when it hit uh, the hurricane, I think it was Nicole hit, it flooded all of Orlando. I've never seen Orlando underwater before. If you look at the pictures, it's incredible. But I got to take care of my mom because she was trapped in her house. I got to take care of my friends. You know, I got to take care of a bunch of people. And it just, I like that because I can really be with the community and take care of them. But speaking of deployment, yeah, I just found out I'm getting deployed this year, active duty. If they need you, big army, the federal side says, hey man, we're, we're lacking. You're, you got to go. So I just found out I'm going to be gone for starting the end of spring and I'll be back end of the year. But yeah, they, you will, their chances are you will in the National Guard. And there's, uh, I mean, I probably just, if you're, if you're listening or any other Army people out there that are Reserve or National Guard, you know what I'm saying? You will get deployed active side and you will go on a long tour of duty. So just to kind of reinforce that, it is, there is a sacrifice component to it. You are 100% deployable. Once you get qualified, get through school, game on, man. It's just the clock ticks. Yeah, I think it's just so. important to know to that way there's not these expectations that are different from, you know, what you think it's going to be. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, are there any yeah. tips or any thoughts or any advice for people who may be considering? We have a lot of students that actually say they are considering something like the National Guard to you know help pay back their loans and that kind of thing. Um, what would you yeah. tell these students? I would say do it. I would go I would go head first. You know, I don't have any regrets. I have made some of the best and it kind of almost brings tears to my eyes because I have made some of the best relationships. I have met some of the best, strongest individuals in my life and just going through just different schoolhouses for officer school and, and going to different bases to help guys get deployed or whatever it is, even just, you know, at drilling some of the best people. And I would say, do it. If you're going to do it financially, that's your reason. If you're doing it to serve your community or your country, whatever you want to do, or you just want to get deployed and say, hey, I went over somewhere, I'm, you know, look at me, that's fine. Do whatever you need to do for your reason. But I would say do it. I see more people regret it than I do see people say they hate it, which I know people out there are like, hey, bro, I was active. You're crazy. No, like you start asking people, more people will regret not. So I think that if you want to go talk to a recruiter, go ahead because you don't want to sit there and regret it. It has been very tough on my family, especially what I have coming up here. I'm going to be a while away for a long time. You know, I'm missing my 30th, her 30th, a bunch of birthdays, a bunch of weddings, but it is a sacrifice. So when you go into, remember, you will sacrifice at some point and it's always at the least opportune time. Always. But yeah, but again, I would recommend it. Do not let the fear of sacrifice and suffering take you away from your great odyssey because that's what it is. And you will meet incredible people and you will be pushed to your limits and you will wake up and say, wow, I just hit a rock march in 110 degree Texas heat and a drought and I'm fine. I would recommend it. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that. And uh, just yeah. kind of one final question, a little bit wanted to touch on with all your amazing varied experience. Obviously, I'm a I'm a, a surgery PA too, so I understand I love a surgery. What about trauma surgery? Did you really really love and kind of what what drew to that? And what's your what's a day to day like in a trauma center for a PA? And, and it's funny because like when I was doing my all my friends except for me, even my wife at the time were doing level one trauma down at um, I think it was level one, but trauma over at Memorial Hospital in Hollywood, Florida. They're like, dude, this sucks, man. This is so tough. <laughs> and I was like, man, I'm never doing that, dude. Like, you're crazy. Like, no way. And then here I am. So <laughs> never say never. <laughs> yeah, right. I think that's one thing as a PA, do not say never. Don't I know, like, I know we're talking about the trauma thing, but don't hold yourself back. Don't say I'm not going to do that because I think that's one thing that I think absolutely ruins people's careers. And I'm, as you as an educator, you, I know you see it. Do not say I can't do this. Do not say I will not do this. Obviously, unless it's unethical, you know, whatever. But, like, you hold yourself back. And I did that to myself. I wish I would have done trauma earlier. I truly do. Trauma at a trauma level one trauma is absolutely insane. You, we see all the worst of the worst, right? Everything that you read about the drunk driving, motorcycles, NBCs, gunshots, just a lot of traumas, right? You see it. It goes to you, right? It gets subverted to you. Um, the normal day usually is I get in, I, I start, I get there around six. I start pre-rounding, kind of burning through my people. We start to start around 630, but you know, you got to get there because your patients, I see everybody. We have a residency program. So we round with the attending and the residents, but we as the APPs, advanced practitioners, uh, what they call it, you know, the, the MPs and the PAs, we see our own people. We have designated APP patients. We can jump on a surgeries with any of the attendings. We have, I think, 10, 10 attendings right now. Like forever, like it, it's just, you know, it's what you want out of it. We have two teams. I'm on red team. I'm on traumas Monday, Wednesday, and interchangeable Fridays. You have your little beeper from like George Clooney ER. It goes, I'm sure all you all of y'all and you, Beth, you know I'm talking about that beeper. It goes off. You go to the trauma bay. You do what you need to do. And you take care of the patient with your team. And then, you know, then you, you finish up. Someone stays with the trauma. Then everybody goes back to work, you know. And if you're done rounding, then everybody stays in the trauma bay. and sweats because it's like on 98 degrees in there. But you got to keep it hot. You know, and it, but that that's a normal day. And also a lot of it is us being our own attending, which I never knew this, our own attending on patients. We are running the patients by ourselves every day. So it has been a big wake-up call. And again, keeping my medicine. Because you have patients that the, the, the docs might only see once a week. And I think that's an issue, I think, with the newer PAs that I'm that running to is that they lean on the docs. And I think after a certain while, you got you to get kicked out of the nest, man. Yeah. Like you're not a resident, you're not a fellow, like you're a PA, like you're an extender of that physician. You gotta, you know, you gotta fly, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's one thing that trauma surgery has done for me is showing me, hey, listen, just like with ER, you're on your own island, bro. You can call for help, but sometimes it's going to be you. you get, and also outpatient too. So you're seeing all your own patients outpatient. So it's a lot of autonomy. And if you want to practice at the fullest scope, I think any type of surgery in general but specifically, as of right now, trauma surgery gives it to you because all trauma surgeons are, guess what, general surgeons as well. So you get both facets of those worlds, including, you know, everything else I mentioned. So it's, it's been a wild ride so far. And I've been doing this for like years. So it's, 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 it's crazy, but it's good. I mean, good people, too. 
And so you've obviously kind of had some different specialties, some different um, positions. But what I love is I see a thread through kind of at your life is you're, you know, you're wanting to serve. So you wanted to serve as an EMT. And then, you know, as a PA, you know, I want to serve the people of Florida. And so you served in the ER. And then, you know, you served in cardiology. And now you're serving your country in the National Guard and that. And so um, I really think that that kind of heart is is what makes the PA profession amazing because it's the people like you who come into the profession because they want to serve and they want that flexibility to serve in different ways depending on what their community needs as he said like I get called up if there's hurricanes and if there's not I'm taking care of infantry and then I'm pulling call you know and and helping these trauma patients so I love I just love your theme of serving I think that for anybody who's listening to this this is what really makes the PA profession amazing is because people like this who come in and who whose goal is to serve in any way they can and sometimes that changes and sometimes it looks different but I just think that that's kind of amazing and thank you so much for sharing your story and all your knowledge so if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you do you have any socials or anything that they can get in touch with you or learn more about the national guard or trauma pa or or just what it's like to be a pa yeah so it's my i think instagram would be this way because i'm i am a meme fiend i love my memes uh a lot of like a lot of y'all out there my instagram is will w-i-l-l underscore uh mackenzie m-a-c-k-e-n-z-i-e so please add me, DM me, you know, I, I, I'm here to help. I love helping PA students and want to help everybody. You know, I love everybody in this profession, whatever level you are, even down to the EBS, because, you know, he's going to clean up the blood, right? Right. <laughs> so, and, you know, and, and, and anybody out there too, you too, Beth, like you have not suffered in a trauma until you've had a, every trash can is full and you're like, where do I throw my stuff? Where do I throw my sharps, right? So that's one thing I respect everybody at every level and just sacrifice. But again, DM me, add me. I'm here to help you. You know, I just want to make sure everybody succeeds because it is such a, it's a hard world out there. And for our listeners, we'll put his uh, handle in the show notes so you can easily click on that and follow Will and follow his adventures um, into the next few months of his life. Yeah. But thank you again so much for being on our podcast. Really appreciate it. Had some great advice, um, some great thoughts on service, some great thoughts on, on hard work and what you need, do what you need to do uh, to get the results. And I love your tagline about, you know, goal, don't make a plan, make a goal, because I think that that's so realistic now these days. <laughs> I think the pandemic taught us ever, all that, you know, planning isn't always going to things aren't always going to go the way you plan so um, thank you so much and to our listeners thank you for listening to another episode of where the white coats come off and we will check you next time thank you so much for listening to where the white coats come off podcast before you leave jump over to the episode notes we recorded a tutorial about how to pick the best pa schools for you the schools that value your strengths and are willing to overlook weaker areas of your application This is how you need to pick the PA schools you plan to apply to so you can get accepted quickly and without wasting your time and money. We know you're going to love this and that it's going to be so helpful for you to pick the best PA schools for you and your stats. So go to the episode notes and check out that tutorial. We'll catch you at the next episode.